As I said, this liturgy is a bit different on Palm Sunday. Uh, It is a newer custom of the church. When I was growing up in the church, uh, Palm Sunday was a very festive day from beginning to end uh, with the triumphant procession celebrated from the outside into the church building in my childhood and uh, the whole service resonating with the joy and gladness of uh, the Son of David has come into his own city and um, uh, to establish himself in great joy. And um, it was only after 1979 with a new prayer book and a new liturgy that another ingredient was added to Palm Sunday. And that is uh, the reading of the Passion. The Passion, that word means suffering, so sometimes we lose that in, that, in translation. The reading of the suffering would be a more appropriate way to say that, actually. The Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the purpose for that change was it was possible as a Christian to uh, hopscotch from uh, Palm Sunday to Easter to have all the joy and gladness of Palm Sunday, all the joy and gladness of Easter, but forget that it costs an individual whose name was Jesus. It cost him everything, abandonment, betrayal, even his life in order for us to approach Easter and celebrate it. So uh, if one missed a Maundy Thursday or a Good Friday worship service in the middle of the week, one missed the heart of the gospel. So probably in a wise way, we have now added the passion, the suffering to Palm Sunday, not to the diminishing of Thursday or Friday or other days of the week, but actually to the elevating for those who are going to miss the whole show during the week and to say something horrible happened in the midst of Holy Week. It's worth paying attention to. We will accomplish that at the end of this service by hearing the Passion read and uh, allow it to be a doorway, an entranceway into a dark alley, a dark corridor, but one that has light at the end. The story is almost too familiar, the story of the life of Jesus, but especially the story of the death of Jesus. How does one give it weight? attention, impact for ourselves in April of 2012. As a Christian leader and as a priest, I used to try to pull out all the stops for Holy Week for the church family, both in Spartanburg and in Somerville. We did it as well in Aiken, where I served uh, as an assistant. Services on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday... We did that a few years here. I should say we tried that a few years here. And services like that similarly in Spartanburg as well as Aiken. And in both Spartanburg and Somerville, I've had my own personal battle with the school districts that choose Holy Week as spring break week over and over again. Uh, Following Easter all over March and April, and making that midterm break sometimes near the end of the school year and sometimes too near the beginning, and arguing with the school district, could you move spring break off of Holy Week? I've enlisted the help of other clergy of of the community, both there in Spartanburg and here, signing letters together, talked to the superintendent, sent letters to the school board, and I've lost that battle in both places. Um, My own personal task with that, because what I had hoped was that Holy Week for families could be Holy Week. 
And spring break for families could be spring break. It's all joy, spring break. You're out of school. We're going to Disney World. We're going to the beach. We're going to the mountains. We're going to visit family. It's a great and joyous time, and it clashes directly with what Holy Week is about. So you will get no help from the market, from the workplace, from anything out there in our culture any longer to enable you to stop and look and listen and be a participant in Holy Week. You will get no help from that. You will be expected to show up at work tomorrow as if it's an ordinary day and show up at work on Thursday and even Friday, Good Friday, as if it's an ordinary day. Uh, And you will uh, be on spring break because of the peculiar parallelism of spring break and Holy Week that is repeated almost virtually every year. So it's going to be up to you what happens this week. You know, there was a day, another time, a different kind of culture, but not another place. It happened here in this country as well, where the world basically stopped what it was doing for about a week, and especially towards the end of the week. At least many folks of the world would st- and pay attention and say, we're just going to go back to Jerusalem And we're going to see what happened there and seek to understand it more deeply and appropriate it into our lives, whatever is there for us. Jerusalem at Passover. The Jews will be in this same rhythm as we are as Christians. We both follow the lunar cycle. And so Easter moves around as does Passover move around. And that convergence means that Passover for Jews is a great celebration, celebrating the Passover of the angel of death in Egypt, the lambs that were, uh, were slain as directed by Moses, blood from the lambs that was put over the doorposts and the door lintel and down the sides, and the promise that the angel of death would pass over the tenth plague as Moses tried to enable God's people to be set free and was enabled in the power of the Spirit by God. Let my people go, Pharaoh. Let my people go. Ten plagues, but this last one was the uh, deal maker. And with the death of eldest Egyptian children, God's people are set free. And from that day forward, the Jews have celebrated as Passover, remembering the angel of death passing over their lives. And their deliverance from bondage. The conversion of these events this week, though, has even more uh, uh, demands, even more attention from us as Christians to remember in like fashion this. This week, we will remember a Passover meal, but it's a last meal of Jesus with his friends. And we will remember this last meal as a new Passover meal. As Jesus takes unleavened bread of Passover and takes the fourth cup of wine of the Passover ritual. And he will invest it with new and deeper meaning, defining and giving to us a new Passover celebration. That the angel of death will pass over our lives, those who know Jesus Because God himself is going to offer his own lamb for a permanent once-for-all Passover. 
And with deeper meaning, we will hear these words. Jesus will say, take and eat. This is my body now given for you. This is my life, he's saying, that I'm going to offer to you in just a few hours. And he'll take that fourth cup of wine of celebration of Passover and also give it new meaning. He will say, drink the cup. This is my blood. My blood will be shed for you. Now do this new Passover meal in the future in remembrance of my offering of my life for yours. We will be invited this week to remember a new command, the new command to love one another in the same way, Jesus says, as I have loved you. No strings attached, no manipulation, simply a purity of love, of a, of a purest love that Jesus himself demonstrates. We will be called this week to remember Jesus' arrest because one of those closest to him One of the twelve closest to him also will betray him. We will be called to remember the three times denial of Peter, who not only has just promised Jesus that he will never abandon him, he's made it all the starker because a few minutes before he had promised uh, Jesus he would never do this. Jesus says, Peter, you will deny me. He says, never, Lord, I won't do that. We will remember that all will forsake him and flee. We are called this week to remember that Jesus was whipped, his body laid bare by the lashes. And the unjust trial of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, we are called to remember unjust trial of trumped-up charges against an innocent man. And we will be called to remember the attempts by the Roman governor, the procurator Pontius Pilate, who tries modestly, minimally to free Jesus Because he can find nothing, no charge against him. But he washes his hands of the old whole deal. Says, choose Barabbas or Jesus. They choose Jesus. He says, go have him. I have nothing to do with this. It's your responsibility. We'll be called to remember the tortured steps that Jesus will walk through the streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha. And we'll be called this week to remember that he will be nailed to a cross, a cross beam. And they will wait for him to die that afternoon and evening, apparently forsaken by all. And we will be called this week to remember the last words of Jesus given to us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Words of love. To the thief being crucified beside him, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Words of love. Woman, he says to his mother Mary, Behold thy son, young John. John, take her into your home. Words of love. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Words of desperation and a sense of even alienation from his Father in heaven. Words of need, I thirst. And words at the end, it is finished. It is accomplished. Glorious words for those who know its meaning. And finally, final last words. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. And we will be called this week to remember his dying. 
And at his dying on Friday, we'll be called to pause there for three days. Three days by Jewish count, really more like two days, Friday to Sunday morning, to take time to ponder and reflect what would the world be like if Jesus had stayed in the grave? To ponder that. What would my life be like if Jesus had stayed in the grave? What would the future of humankind be like if Jesus had stayed in the grave? And seven days from now, exactly one week, we will come together again in a glorious fashion to celebrate, finally, his resurrection. The gift of God, the gift of God's blessing upon he who offered himself even unto death, and God raises him up. It's hard for some of us to walk with anyone towards death. I have known people through the years, even of a close family member, to withdraw rather than to come near uh, out of fear, out of sadness, out of just not knowing what to do or say. It's hard to go down, down, down into the depths with somebody. Others are able to do that and are empowered to do that. And there's nothing more beautiful to watch someone who will go with another even to the door of death. There in the bedroom or there in the hospital room, helping to clean a body, helping to feed, helping to provide nourishment, a drink of ice water. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's sacrificial. I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that is one of the most important and valuable things we can do as Christian disciples, as those who walk with the Lord Jesus is this week to walk the way of the cross. To stop and look and listen. You may not be able to be here on Thursday or Wednesday or Friday for those services. But you can have your Bible, can't you? Or you can rent the movie of the story of Jesus' life. There are all kinds of ways and means to embrace this week if you can't be here. And I would say, but best of all, if you're here in town, to be here. To go down. In going down, we will rise. And in the sacrifice of your time and your other commitments to this commitment, the Lord always rewards and honors a person's sacrifice with new blessings. And the result will be Easter will be different. According to the proportion of your willingness to go down and give attention to this, will give you, uh, in proportion, an incredible raising up to new joy and new life and even new understanding. So this week, stop, look, listen, contemplate, reflect, engage, consider, weigh, read, look. Love begets love. Generosity begets generosity. In engaging this story in a personal way, each of us, and engaging the story in a communal way, us together, we will come to that cross of love. And that cross of love will further, more grow in us. There will be new love, more love, 
coming from us as well in gratitude and generosity, a generosity of spirit, a generosity of mind. I don't know all the vignettes of the tea room and gift shop, uh, the holy events, the, the gospel moments of those two weeks and the weeks before, but I heard two this past week at a Bible study, um, living examples of love begets love, generosity begets generosity. There was a couple apparently that arrived after two o'clock, and we're closed at two o'clock, and um, they understood that. They, they were sad they arrived late and they were going to leave, but uh, one of the bus boys, as we call them, uh, the bussers who do the cleaning up, um, instead invited them to stay and see what they could rustle up from the kitchen still. And uh, so they insist on them saying, and, say, and apparently the people, you know, I've got this third hand, but the way I understand, you know, I said, well, but you're closed. They said, no, 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 we're here to serve. So you stay and we will serve you. And so uh, this individual um, uh, waited on the table, rustled up, I'm sure, still some delicious food and served them. And uh, after they had left and paid their bill, when he went to clean up the table, there was a $50 bill lying on the table as a thank you. See, love begets love. His love to them in the name of Jesus beget love from them in the name of Jesus. Generosity begets generosity. And, of course, when you think of the multiplier effect that that $50 then goes into our outreach pot of the, of the tea room uh, ministry, it has an even greater impact. Another story from the tea room. An elderly woman approaching the cash register, frail, and aged, and she asked our, uh, the person attending the cash register on, on the other side of the table uh, if, if she would write her check for her because her hand was now too shaky and uh, wobbly to write out the check where it was readable. And uh, the person first said, you sure? You know, and first of all, she had to trust this other person to do it right, and so th- they added up the amount, you know, just a single meal and wasn't a whole lot, and so uh, she uh, began to, she said, I'll be glad to write the check, and uh, it's so-and-so amount. And the elderly woman said, no, write it out for $100. And uh, she said, $100? No, your meal is only, she said, no, I know, but I, I know what you're doing here, and I want to support what you're doing here. Please write it out for $100. And then in her shaky hand, she put her signature on it. And again, into outreach. Love begets love. Generosity begets generosity. This is the week when we see love, when we see the beauty and purity and power of love even unto death and the rewards of love's way even unto resurrection. This is his story, the greatest story ever told. But it's also our story as we embrace it and receive it and enter into it. It is your story, and it is my story. Find yourself where you would be in Jerusalem that week. Are you part of the indifferent crowd? Got other things to do? Don't need to worry about this stuff. Are you part of a hostile group that is actually berating Jesus with one's words? Are you perhaps with Mary and John at the foot of the cross, weeping for what has happened to him? Where are you in this story? Find yourself in the story this week and then ask yourself this question. Is this where I want to be with my life? 
is this where I want to be? And one answer may be, this is exactly where I want to be because I'm here at the foot of the cross weeping over what has happened and recommitting my life to him. Or it may be, no, I've been too passive. I've been too indifferent. I have been too callous. I have not let the Lord Jesus into my life sufficiently. I have not let his spirit. I need to seek more and find more of him. So it's an important question to ask this week. Is this where I want to be? A lot will happen between now and next Sunday. It's up to you how much will happen to you. Amen.